Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Just going to be me today. And in today's episode, we will be going over the Stanley Cup Finals game for the Blues tying the series at two apiece with the Boston Bruins with their 4-2 win. Then we're going to go over some of the Patriots news. I went over all the Gronk news yesterday. But today we're going to go over like who Tom Brady's throwing with, kind of their receiving core, also the cut. Uh, well, their tight end core as well, uh, you know, the cutting of Austin Safarian Jenkins, mostly over their offense, but just kind of the Patriots news. The Gronk we already got to last episode, if you haven't checked that out, maybe. If you want to, feel free to check that out after. Um, and then I'm going to get to my complete off-season breakdown for the Atlanta Hawks. I know I was telling you guys a few episodes ago I was doing that on, like, Saturday. Finally getting to it. I do need to catch up and work hard to get all the 29 rest of the other 29 teams done because I haven't even started the Celtics yet. But I'll work on that for you guys. But we're doing the Hawks today. So first we are going to start with uh, yesterday's Stanley Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. So let's get to that. Alright, so if you don't know by now, I am a Bruins fan. If you're a first-time listener, yes, I am a Bruins fan. So, yesterday's loss, you know, wasn't too pleasant for me. Uh, personally, a lot to get to, uh, takeaways from this game. Uh, but first, we're going to kind of start with a little rundown through the game. Uh they got on the board early with the Ryan O'Reilly goal. It was great in that game six against the Sharks. Came in, scored another point in that game one, and he's kind of been quiet games three, uh, two and three, and then came out game four with that big game, two goals. Kind of just slow reaction time for Tuukka Rask. Couldn't really track the puck, and nice goal by O'Reilly there. It's that, those are always tough goals, you know. People usually score from there. Uh, and then you had you had um, Coyle scoring in that first period, and then they also had another goal. So And that was off the second chance opportunity. They had t- uh, The Blues had the first goal by Ryan O'Reilly, and then you had two um, second chance opportunities just kind of bounced off Rask and two second chance opportunities. O'Reilly had two goals in that game. Shen had a goal, and Tarasenko had a goal on six shots. Um, which, I mean, Tarasenko should be taking a lot of shots. But anyway, Coyle uh, stays hot. He's really been one of your best players this postseason. He's consistently every series. He's just he, – he, he's been really good. He's just he continuously scoring goals. He's just always in the right place at the right time. He created that. Chara shoots it at um, Jordan Bennington, and Coyle kind of uh, takes it, if you will, and it, it was almost like he, he deflected it. He deflected Rask's second chance opportunity or it was something weird. And then he got control and just put it in. And then Carlo had a goal. First uh, career playoff goal for him. Uh, that was a nice shot he had there. Um, should have scored that anyway. I think most players in the room would and should have scored that. Uh, pretty easy goal. But the Blues then uh, kind of – you already know the whole rundown. So I don't need to explain it again. I feel like the officiating, one big thing was the officiating didn't play a huge factor in last night's game like it did in the game before. Now, there were some missed calls. Yes, the Blues have been flopping. And I think they've been a little soft, the refs have. Yes, I do. Um, And then you also look at some other things. Another thing I take away, it's official. The Blues are a better 5-5 team than you are. So last night's game was a game where you didn't have a ton of penalties. And the game was, you know, less officiated. They they kind of let you play a little more in a way. Um, one of those penalties was just the puck going over the net. 
the boards, if you will. So that's not really, you know, physical penalty. It's just kind of a mental mistake. But again, that's a, that's a scary thing because all of a sudden now, the NHL can kind of rig this a little. Do they want the Blues to win? Do they want that comeback story? Do they want the Bruins to win? So if they can kind of rig this because they can sit here and say, right, the Blues are a better five-on-five team. The Bruins are a much better special teams uh, team. So they can kind of rig it and say, all right, to the refs, either if we want the Bruins to win, call a lot of penalties tonight. You know, you know, if there's a little thing, call it. In the Bruins' favor, obviously, a little bit. They're a great special teams team. And if it's for the Blues, don't call a lot of penalties like they did last night. So they can kind of rig this a little if they want. Now, I don't want them to rig it in any way for the Bruins or the Blues. I don't want them to rig this game. But if they want to, they definitely can. They, that's a big thing. Uh, but that has to scare you a little bit that they're the better 5-5 five and five team, that you're the better, spe- better special teams team because you're relying now on penalties. You're relying on the refs in a way to get you uh, into this game, if, if you will. And I not I don't want to say you're relying on the refs, but you kind of are that they will make these calls because if they don't, now all of a sudden you're playing five and five hockey and they're better at you than that. And that really has to scare you because five and five hockey, you know, versus special teams, I'd probably rather be the better five and five team because, you know, how long are you on special teams a game? Let's see. Hockey sixty minutes maybe for 10, 12 minutes. So you're you know, on special teams maybe one fifth of the game. Yeah, I'd say around one fifth of the game. So I'd rather be better you know, four-fifths of the game than my opponent, than one-fifth, if you kind of know what I'm saying. And again, special teams is very important, almost as important as five-and-five. I just think five-and-five hockey is much more important because you're playing five-and-five hockey much more often. The Bruins are really only scoring about one goal a game, five-and-five hockey. They're really relying on the special teams, and that's to scare you. Um, The the Blues have just been better. By eye, you can tell they've been better 5-on-5, and they have more goals 5-on-5. And last night, I just the Bruins, the Bruins did not deserve to win that game in, in the sense that the Blues played better. The Blues played better and, quote-unquote, deserved to win the game. But the Bruins definitely could have stole it. It wasn't like the Blues outplayed them by a mile. It was still a solid game. I just think the Blues outplayed you last night, but you definitely could have stole the game. Rask overall has not been fantastic, if you know what I mean. He's been good. Uh, compared to Bennington, I- I'd say he's been better than Bennington. I will go ahead and say that. But Rask hasn't been phenomenal and stood on his head and stole you a game like he could, probably could have done last night. Uh, last night, 37 shots uh, on net, 34 saves isn't horrible. Uh, the last goal was empty net. That's not horrible. That's just average. That's average. Uh, 919 save percentage is average. So he had an average night last night, and that's really what he's been in the series. Slightly over average. I thought he's very underrated uh, last game in your big win. Uh, he's He's been a little underrated in the middle of the series, but he's been a little over average. Bennington has been average. The goaltending has not been phenomenal. It hasn't been horrible besides Bennington's game three. Bennington last night, 23 shots on net, 21 saves. They outshot you by a mile, and they've done that. They have done that continuously. They have forced you. You haven't been able to get a lot of shots on net. Now, George called in. Hopefully, he calls in again. But he called in going into, I believe it was the second game. 
Just get shots on net, shots on net, shots on net. And I have to agree. It's one of the biggest things. You have to get shots on net of this Blues team. And they failed to do that. The Blues outshoot you by a lot in most of these games. And that's that's tough. You need to get the pucks on net. And at first they said, I don't think that, you know, if you just get pucks on net, it's not really going to work that way. But I'm starting to think that might just be the, you know, biggest, one of the biggest things for this Bruins team. Just get the pucks on net. Keep up with their physicality. Um you know, force some special teams to play. Then you have, should they make adjustments? Now I do think they should make adjustments. Now, right now you got the Coil and Johansson line. Obviously, the first line you have Pasternak, Marsha, and Bergeron. Second line you have Krejci and no one else. The Brusque has not been good. He had that shot on goal last night that, you know, could have scored, but really it was kind of right at Bennington, I felt at least. Uh, and that was really all he did last night. Two shots. That was really the, the big one right there. But then the third line, you have Coyle and Johansson. People say, move up Coyle and give him help for Krejci. And I've heard people say, move these lines around. The problem with it is, so many of these guys are just centers. Sean Corrali, uh, Charlie Coyle, they're just all centers. Uh, and David Krejci, here's what I do is... I'm not going to do too much because once you start doing too much, you already have charge probably going to miss the next game. Broke his jaw. We're going to get to that in a minute. But you, you don't want to ruin things chemistry-wise. You want to kind of keep things a little balanced. But here's what I do. If you want to get Krejci a little help, don't move up Coyle or Johansson. I don't touch that because that has just been perfect. That chemistry there is awesome. I move Pasternak down with Krejci. That gives Krejci a weapon and some help. And that kind of makes you a few hard lines to defend. That second line is not hard to defend at all. And that first line overall hasn't gelled very well, I feel like, in a way, if you know what I'm saying about They've just been very inconsistent. So I want to move Pasternak down to make that second line more dangerous and gives you another dangerous line. Another, It makes you even harder to game plan for. And you move a guy like Danton Heinen up, who's more of just a good shooter. Or, you know, Danton Hyden can kind of float between the first and third lines. Whatever you want. Pasternak is a guy, I feel like, who has such good uh, one-on-one skills, if you will. Just when the puck in his hand, he can really create his own shot. You don't need that guy with Bergeron and Marchand. Bergeron's a great passer. Marchand kind of does the same thing in a way. But Pasternak is that guy that could fit well with the second line. He, You know, Bergeron and Marchand, he's not going to fit that that well. You know what I'm trying to say? I'd love to see Pasternak get bumped down to the second line, don't touch the third line, and kind of move Heinen up to that first line because he's a good just shooter for you there. That's not too puck dominant, if you know what I'm saying. I feel like they're a little too puck dominant in that first line. They haven't been great chemistry-wise. So I see you switch that up a little, give the Blues another thing to game plan for. And also David Backus. I'm sorry, but I, I'm not sure he should really be playing at this point. Um, maybe scratch him, maybe just play him a little less. I don't know what to say. And then there is Zdeno Chara. Now, Chara obviously breaks his jaw uh, now after that. Oh, that was a nasty. Oh, that hit uh, the the puck. Oh, that was awful. Oh, just watching that. You know, you see the blood dripping down from his face onto the ice. Ooh, oh, that was bad. What do you do for a replacement? Now, here's my thing. I feel like this has been just slightly overemphasize the loss of uh, Zdeno Chara because people are saying, oh, the loss is Zdeno Chara plus Matt Grizzly. This is going to be rough. And yeah, I don't think losing Chara helps you, but the loss of Chara means you're probably going to get better 
you're probably going to get a little bit of a faster and better puck, you know, managing defenseman. So you're actually going to get better in a few categories, losing Marsha and bringing someone else in, even if it's Steve Camper. And Camper's a guy who's not really, you know, that fast or not really a guy who's great with the puck, but he's still a little better than Chara. Obviously, Chara's a big physical guy, and I don't think the loss of Chara helps, but it does help in a few categories. It's just something to just keep in the back of your mind. Now, one uh, thing that really hurts you is your penalty kill. You've been great on the power play. You've been very good on the penalty kill. But if you go the next three games without Chara, that really hurts your penalty kill. Now, given the Blues are horrible on the power play anyway. But still, just because the Blues are horrible on the power play and the Bruins look good uh, on that penalty kill without Chara last night in that third period doesn't mean I'm fully confident that they're they're just it's not going to matter. I think it's going to cost you a goal or two, maybe not having Chara on that penalty kill, because there's still been a lot of penalties called in the Stanley Cup. Maybe not last night, but still, in this series in general, there have been a lot. So that's kind of just some things to look out for. And he's also a leadership presence. Now who do you bring up? You know, Steve Camper, you know, John Moore. I, I don't know how I really feel about those guys. And overall, I think it's going to be a big loss. Uh, one guy who broke his jaw was Derek Stepan back in 2014, uh, which was something I heard today. And they said, um, you know, he broke his jaw against the Canadians and missed one game for surgery and played the rest of the series in the Stanley Cup Finals, which the Kings ended up winning. I remember that series back in 2014. Those were the good old hockey days. I'll explain in a minute. Stepan came back after one game of surgery, came back, scored two goals. So my thing with Char is, though, I think the two things with that broken jaw is either you come back, play the rest of the game, and then get the jaw checked or go straight to the hospital. Chara came back with a dark Darth Vader-looking helmet on, on, sat on the bench and didn't play. So I think that was where he's trying to avoid the concussion protocol. Protocol. That was something I thought about today. Was he trying to avoid the concussion protocol? And protocol. I don't know. Why I said that in like a Boston accent, but was that what he's trying to avoid and make sure he can play? I think Chara really wants to play. Chara is sitting there saying, "I don't want to go to the concussion protocol." I want to come back in this game, avoid that, to make sure I can play as soon as possible, ASAP. You know, he might have to sit out the next game, but the the sooner the better Char can come back. And I, I don't know if he'll be a Derek Stepan where he misses one game for surgery and then he's back, but we'll see. I mean, when we get more details, I think we need more details to kind of hear when the surgery is going to be, how it goes. I, I think a broken jaw is very, definitely very painful, but I can kind of see why... It can um, it, it can only be one game because, you know, broken jaw is something technically you can't play through. It wouldn't be easy, but it, Stepan ended up playing like 20, 22 minutes when he returned, so it wasn't like he's playing half the time. But that's something you can return to because once you get surgery, it's obviously still going to hurt, but you can still go out there and, you know, just wear the Darth Vader mask. And the hit, it might hurt to take hits maybe, but you're not really going to get hit to, to the head hopefully. I can see why you can play through a jaw injury because you're not really using your jaw in hockey. Uh, it's still going to hurt, might affect your play a little, and you're just going to try to avoid hits. But I think he could definitely come back. That definitely looks uh, very painful. But anyway, that's kind of the uh, game four wrap-up. 
and review for the Bruins versus Blues. I am very scared. I think this is a must-win game kind of for both teams, Game 5, but especially for the Bruins. I hate thinking about the – it's going to be very – uh, interesting game because if the Bruins lose, I don't know how good of a shot you have because all of a sudden you lose, you're down 3-2, to two, the Blues have won the last two, and you're going into a game six in St. Louis facing elimination. Again, I don't know. And then if you do win that game, all of a sudden you have game seven, and Jordan Bennington has been absolutely incredible against elimination. And he proved that again last night, like after losses or against elimination when the pressure's on, he delivers and even proved that last night. So after that horrible game three, he bounced back pretty well last night. So that's kind of, again, the review 15-minute segment. There was a lot of talk about last night's game. So now we are going to get to the latest Patriots news, so let's get to that. All right, so a lot of the Patriots news has kind of came out today, kind of out of nowhere. You have the Gronk news. We kind of go over that, and then um, all of a sudden they it's the mandatory mini camp, so a kind of optional mini camp. Tom Brady shows up, and he's kind of getting some reps, a lot of targets from Nikhil Harry. People said overall pretty positive, you know, a few negatives to take out of it overall. But for the first day, Tom Brady and Nikhil Harry for – to show, to show that trust that Tom Brady wants to work with Nikhil Harry. So I really like that news that, yeah, Nikhil Harry overall had a pretty good report. You know, there were some, you know, maybe missed routes or, you know, a few drop balls maybe from Nikhil from what I was hearing. I don't know the whole inside scoop, but Tom Brady targeted him a lot in the first day of minicamp and even got a little off-field session with him. Uh, James White and I believe um, – one more person, to be honest, I'm, I think it was Julian Edelman, but don't quote me on that. I'm sorry that I don't know the specific people, but I think that was Benjamin Watson. Is Benjamin Watson, who's suspended for the first four games, uh, assumingly, Nikhil Harry and James White. And he obviously he's played with James White uh, for the past few seasons, Benjamin Watson. In the past, you got to get that chemistry back a little. And Nikhil Harry's a new guy, but he's obviously interested. Very you know, motivated to work with Nikhil Harry. And I'm starting to feel better and better about this guy. Uh, but Tom Brady today just sent out a tweet that I think really caught my eye. That Like, ooh, does this end at a retirement? And I'm not saying it does. I'm not, you know, the whole rumor thing. But he tweets out today two hours ago, uh, at least for my time. It's 827 right now. So he said, treat my first like my last and my last like my first. And he's probably referring to the mini camp or, or the season or something. So basically saying... He treats, you know, his first opportunity like it's going to be his last place really hard. And he treats his last like, you know, it's just his first time. I don't know how to really put that last part. But you get the idea. He's basically kind of saying, this is my last time and I'm going to just treat it like my first. So that just kind of caught my eye. Like, why why are you um, why are you saying that? Like. What's the why? Why are you trying to hint at something there or what? Uh, and I also had a report that he showed no rust that day one of minicamp, so that's some good news. They also, the bigger, probably the biggest news is the Patriots releasing tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins, who, who was playing uh, in Jacksonville, came here. And he also said he's going to take a month, a step away for at least a month with some personal issues. Obviously, a lot of guys kind of have that problem. So Austin Safarian Jenkins is gone. So now this is how your tight end um, depth chart looks like. You got Benjamin Watson, who's suspended for the first four games and coming out of retirement. You have Ryan Izzo, Matt Lacosse, Steven Anderson, Andrew Beck, and we'll throw in James Devlin. Who's your fullback? Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's what we have right now. We're working with a suspended out of retirement Benjamin Watson and a bunch of other guys that no one really knows. So, yeah, we need a tight end. And, again, Gronk could come back. I got to that all, whole news, but I expect him to come back at some point. But, again, what are you going to sit here saying? We're relying on a tight end coming out of retirement that is going to be suspended for the first four games and relying on Rob Gronkowski to come back at some point in the season. Like, he's not even going to play the whole season. So I don't know what – it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I, I think they're going to be kind of run-heavy team or, you know, run-and-shoot type of thing or, you know, play-action type. Just a lot of slot receiving. Like, I don't know. And, again, with a heavy run game, don't you kind of need those type of tight ends? So you're not going to fill – you're not going to – Fill Gronk's shoes, but at least do a you know solid enough job to kind of cover up the hole because they just have no one at tight end now. And again, Austin Safarian Jenkins really didn't make me feel great about the tight end position, but at least he was something, especially with Watson out that first four weeks. So, uh, and then at wide receiver you have Nikhil Harry, Julian Edelman, Demaryius Thomas, who's a little banged up right now, Philip Dorsett, Dontrell in it. Inman, Braxton Berrios, Maurice Harrison, Damoon Patterson. Damoon, if you uh, listened to the podcast for a long time, it's kind of an inside joke because one episode a few months ago, I ripped on the Patriots for their receiving core. Now their only big receiver was Damoon Patterson. And it's just been a joke ever since. When Colin comes on the show and we talk about the receiving core, we always joke about Damoon Patterson. That was an episode from a while ago, so the real ones will know, but... I look at that receiving core, and it's not as thin as, you know, some people are cracking it up to be. You have Julian Edelman as your slot receiver. Um, and then you have guys like Nikhil Harry's a very big receiver. Again, it's going to be tough to rely on him too much because, again, he's only a rookie, and we're still not sure he's going to come in and act. He could end up busting legitimately. I don't expect him to, but I've heard good things, but overall he definitely could. Demarius Thomas is a big hit or miss. Uh, that's just kind of a guy who's constantly banged up, and even when he's on the field, you know, some teams he succeeds, some te- teams he doesn't, so he's kind of just a real wild card. I'm not too keen on him. Uh, he's a good name to bring in, but I'm not sure how good he really, really will do. Dorsett is kind of a guy that just depends week to week. One week he goes off with about eight targets, and the next week he's not even in the game plan. He's kind of a smaller receiver that you'll see going downfield or on the sidelines. Then you got Inman, I'll admit. don't know a ton about Dontrell Inman. I do know he was kind of playing for the Chargers and I believe the Colts as well. Um in 2018, 28 receptions, 304 yards, three touchdowns, 10.9 uh, average yards. He's he's 6'3", 205 pounds, and he averaged 10.9 yards a catch. So, yeah, he's a bigger receiver. So, again, that's kind of a guy that you're just bringing in for some depth. I expect him probably to get around 30 grabs this season. Yeah, I'd say I expect Inman to get around 30 grabs Um He's 30, so I, yeah, I'd say 25 to 30 grabs for him. Uh, maybe actually just 20. You didn't never know with these Patriots guys if you know they come in after a solid year and just end up being a depth piece or they're actually going to play a big role. You just don't know. So I'd say somewhere between 20 and 32 catches maybe for Inman. Uh, and then the rest of the guys really aren't going to do much. So that kind of gives you a five-man deep receiving core. And then there's Josh Gordon, who's kind of up in the air. So you don't have any tight ends, really. I don't even know if Ben Watson counts at this point. You have no tight ends and a solid five-man receiving core. And again, even in that five-man receiving core, Edelman's probably going to be good. Carry is uh, 
pretty safe bet. Demarius Thomas is a huge wild card. Dorsett is just a week-to-week guy, and Inman is more of just a depth guy. So that's a five-man receiving corner, and that's even a little up for grabs. So I think your receiving core is a little depth. Uh, depth. A little thin, but it's mostly your tight end. I just focus on getting a tight end. If you can get a solid tight end, I'm right with your receiving core. Uh, that's not what I'm totally worried about. I would like one more receiver something there, but I'm more concerned about tight end. So we'll see what happens with this Patriots team. That's kind of some of their uh, latest news, if you will. Just kind of touching up on that. And now I'm going to get to my complete offseason breakdown for the Atlanta Hawks. All right, so with this offseason breakdown, I told you I'm going to kind of try to go over every NBA team uh, really before the offseason starts. It's going to be tough, but I really got to grind away at this. Uh, And it's going to be by alphabetical order, by their city, not by the team name, but by like Atlanta, Boston, you know what I mean? Boston is up next, and I think Brooklyn. uh, Maybe we'll – most episodes we are going to have like two or three teams at a time. Some maybe the whole episode is just off-season breakdowns. Like I doubt it, but maybe one. This one, for today, only one done. I figured this would be a good like third segment to just finish off the episode. I've had it done for a bit now, but this is on the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks really are going to be this one for the offseason breakdown. Some are going to be longer than others. I think this is going to be a little more on the shorter side um, because the Hawks just don't have a ton going on this offseason, more of a busier draft. They're not going to do too much in free agency or make too many trades, but this one may be on the radar. But in it, we're going to start off with the draft. They have picks eight, the eighth overall pick, the 10th overall pick, the 35th overall pick, 41st overall pick. So two lottery picks and then two second round picks. Here was my description. The Hawks have been linked to trade talks regarding them sending the 8th and 10th pick to the Knicks for the third pick. So this was kind of news that kind of just like was talked about for a day or two and then just died down again. I don't really see it happening, but it could still happen. When I made it, it was kind of like around Saturday. So that news was kind of just coming out then. And I also said, I thought the Hawks were in solid position at 8 and 10 to take Jackson Hayes or Bull Bull for their next big man and a winger like Reddish or even a player like Nasir Nasir Little to improve defensively. If they do trade up, that means they would probably end up with R.J. Barrett, who would be an interesting fit to say the least. I feel like a player with this play style isn't really what's needed in Atlanta, where they're mainly need where they're mainly where their main need, sorry, is a new center and better defense. Anyway, drafting RJ gives you a great player. I'm just not sure he fills your needs. So again, if you want to call in and want me to be a little more descriptive on the draft, by all means, if you want me to, I think I'm going to make it even a little more descriptive uh, next time. But this was just my first one. Again, the Hawks don't have a ton. But again, the draft, maybe I should have made that a little more descriptive. But basically, I do think they have to, have to, have to take a big man. I'm not saying R.J. Barrett, like, don't trade for R.J. Barrett. I think he's a very, very safe pick and will be a great player. But I'm just not sure he'll be a great, great fit. He's not a fantastic defender. Sure, he's great in transition. I don't think they have some great transition players, but on that wing, they just, you know, really 3 and D players. Uh, you know, R.J. Barrett, I feel like, is a kind of point forward. And Trey Young, I feel like people are saying, yeah, this guy can play shooting guard. Why not have him play point guard? I think he was second or third in assists last year. He moves the ball really well. He's passing with colors. The guy can create his own shot, and he's a great passer. Why do you want, you know, John Morant? 
uh, you know, so Trey Young can play shooting guard. There's just no need for it. So I don't think there's a real need for a guy like RJ Barrett. More, let's get a 3 and D wing. And again, you have Kevin Hurter, Torian Prince, who are two 3 and D wings. But if you want to, again, I think a Nassar Little would make a lot of sense. Because if you pick a Jackson Hayes or a Bobel, you have Torian Prince and Kevin Hurter as your future guys. So take a Nassar Little and get a defensive-minded player. I'm not a huge fan of Nassar Little, but... It gives you a defensive-minded piece. You need that type of guy. You have no defense on that team. I'm sorry. Herder's solid, and Torian Prince is okay. Like, Torian Prince is an eh 3-and-D player because he's a solid three-point shooter and an average defender at best. He's not really that great at defense. Herder is an over-average three-point and defender, I do think. He's really a true 3-and-D wing. Torian Prince is kind of up in the air a little bit. He's definitely a guy you can upgrade. I do like him, but... Nassar Little actually kind of makes sense for the team to get that defensive-minded player, but you definitely got to take a center. If they don't trade up 8 and 10, one of those picks has to be a Bulbul or a Jackson Hayes, and then one of the other picks has to be a wing. Whether that is Reddish or Little, I'm kind of thinking someone along that line. And then free agency is not going to be very uh, packed for them. They have Dwayne Dedman, Justin Anderson, who's a restricted free agent, Vince Carter, Alex Poitras, who's a restricted free agent, and Isaac Humphreys, who's also a restricted free agent. So five free agents, three of them restricted free agents, and here's my description. The Atlanta Hawks don't really have to worry if they lose any of these guys in free agency. Anderson, Poitras, and Humphreys are all 25 or younger, and have shown they're not going to be much in the NBA. Like The ceiling isn't much. They're more just... They'll probably be just bench pieces their whole career. They're not going to be much. Then there's Denman and Carter. I think the Hawks should really want Vince back for a locker room guy in leadership along with the veteran. They should also be interested in Denman, Denman as long as the money is good because they don't have anyone at center. But then again, they could get one in the draft. The Hawks overall have the money to pay to pay a big-time free agent. The only problem is they probably won't get one. They're a young, small-market team. They make sense to get some solid... They may get get they may get some solid younger guys and all some and some all right veterans, but that's about it. There's a slight chance to get a guy like Vooch, but I highly doubt it. I've heard the Hawks plan to be aggressive in free agency, but I still don't see them getting any big times names. So sorry I kept stuttering during that, but Basically, with Deadman and Carter, another thing for Carter would be Carter's a guy who could kind of fill up the seats a little more, too. And again, I think uh, young Collins and the young guys will already do the trick. But I think Vince will draw a few more fans, even in a little more, uh, just from all over the NBA community and into your building as well. And Vince would just be that great locker room guy. He's a great leader. He'd be a fun guy that could teach these young guys a lot. I think Vince is a must sign back for them. And then you have Dwayne Dedman, who is a guy I don't think they should exact. They should try to get him because, again, Alex Len, uh, Mason Plumley are two guys who I'm not really sure can really start. Dwayne Dedman is really a guy who shouldn't be starting either, but he's about you know as low as it gets. Because if Jackson Hayes comes in, who knows if he's going to be ready to start right away. Dedman's a guy who can come in and you, know, you can just rely on him to hold up the fort while Hayes or a Bobo gets ready, or Bobo comes back from his injury, or whoever they pick there. So you can't just rely on that guy that you pick in the draft, assuming you take one. And then for trades, uh, now the only real trade rumor I've heard is the one I already discussed with the Knicks. 
Other than that, I could maybe see them making a move for a solid center, like at most a Clint Capella. The Rockets reportedly are making looking to make moves, which means Capella could be on the block. I'm not saying they'll get Capella, but they have the money and assets to get him, plus he'd be a great fit, especially helping them out defensively and on the boards. That would be very true. I could actually see them being a, a quiet team that could sneak in and get Clint Capella. They have draft capital. They have some solid young players that they could trade to get him. I'm not sure uh, who. I think they're going to be like Trey Young. John Collins are off the table. We're kind of going to avoid giving up Kevin Herter, and I don't really see him. Maybe he could go. I could see maybe a package of maybe like if they sign him back. Well, Dwayne Dedman, I don't know. Maybe like a Mason Plumlee or an Alex Len, and I'd probably say the eighth pick. I'd probably say the eighth pick and like Alex Len. But again, I don't know how that would work with the cap. I think that would actually be all right because the Hawks have so much cap space. So don't quote me on this, but I think the eighth pick in like an Alex Len, maybe, you know, like in Amari Spellman as well. Like, I don't know. Uh, I'll dig into that more maybe for you guys for some possible clean capella trades, but I really haven't thought about it much. Uh, So that's kind of my uh, complete offseason breakdown for the Atlanta Hawks. So fills up about eight to nine minutes, and some of these teams may take up to 15. So that's good to know that this is going to be one of the shorter teams. And I, I find those very fun to do, just the complete offseason breakdown. So, again, that was one. I'm going to improve uh, a little bit on a little more of a description on these. My first one for kind of these series is always a little short, and then I, it gets better as I go on. So expect the Celtics to be a little more descriptive and all these other teams. So the Hawks overall have one of the more – you know, they don't have a ton to do this offseason. I mean, most teams, this is going to be a historic offseason. Great draft class, great free agency class. But overall, they have one of the more low-key, if you will, offseasons. And I didn't describe uh, a little more of a description next time. But still, it was pretty fun to do. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you next time.